Good morning. My name is Jeremy Longhurst. My wife, Nancy, and I have been coming to this church now for 25 years. When we first came out to the church, uh, I had been converted shortly before in a church in London. It's a church that I would describe as a non-liturgical, sort of happy, clappy sort of church. So when we came to Church of the Resurrection, came on a Wednesday evening, there was uh, about nine people in the congregation. And I have to say, I was blown away when we walked in by the wonderful presence of the Lord. I was also profoundly confused by all of the Anglican stuff, the liturgy and all of those sorts of things. And ever after that, for about six months, my wife and I used to drive out from the city to come to the church. And on the way, we'd have this big discussion because we just couldn't cope with it all. Dunking Donuts or church? Dunking Donuts or church? Sometimes, yeah, I'm not going to tell you which one always. But we have grown to love this church. It has been a wonderful place to raise our family, to raise our children. I last spoke here about ten years ago, and I'm really looking forward to speaking again in about 2025. I'll see you then. So, let us pray before we dive into today's passage. Lord Jesus, we come before you really to come and give you glory. We pray that your name would be lifted high this morning, that our hearts would be open to you. We welcome you and we love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Going to look at the passage from Samuel today. Before I start, I'm going to say, it is a difficult passage. It's a passage which is about the consequences of sin. It's about brokenness. So you're going to find that we start out going down a little bit in this sermon. Please stay with me. We do come back up at the other side. Last week, you'll recall that we were looking or in the preceding weeks as well, at David and this wonderful man of God. He had defeated Goliath, worshipped the Lord with everything in him, a man after the Lord's own heart, wanted to build the Lord a temple, and then he takes this massive swan dive into sort of a cesspit of sin, as we read last week. He commits adultery with Bathsheba, and then arranges for Bathsheba's husband to be killed. It's one of those passages that we are so familiar with, we sometimes miss the jarring nature of what's going on. And sometimes the way to make it be a little more fresh and jarring is to do something a little unusual. So I'm going to take it and just give you a different analogy. And I need to pick on somebody And I'm going to pick on dear Kevin here. Kevin is a wonderful, as we all know, leader of our church. He's a wonderful man of God. Now, just imagine that out of the blue, Kevin does the swan dive into sin. And just for the sake of this, we're going to say, Kevin becomes a drug dealer. And for the last two weeks after church, he's been going down to the street corner and he's been selling drugs. And he tithed his earnings. Thank you. God bless you. 
Kevin then comes to his senses and he's convicted of his sin and he's like, oh, what have I done? What would happen to Kevin? I guarantee you that following Sunday morning, he would be standing right here, tears streaming down his face, apologizing to all of us and repenting to the Lord. Now, let's look at David. What did David do after going through this extraordinary time of sin? Verse 26, verse 27. When the wife of Uriah died, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the mourning was over, David sent, brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. Not a shred, not a little iota of reference to any repentance. The time of mourning back then was approximately seven days. So in other words, from the time they heard Uriah was dead, there was seven days of mourning, and after that, David was, thank you very much, Bathsheba, you can move into the palace, I'm marrying you, and we're moving on. Not a shred, not nothing of repentance. How did David do that? What went wrong? He would have known from Exodus that the consequence of his sin of adultery and of murder was death. And yet he still shows no repentance. I'd suggest that he performs the most marvelous trick of mental gymnastics. Or what we could call denial of his sin, self-deception. We have to speculate what was going through his mind, but I would say it probably went something like this. The Lord, it was his will that I stayed home from battle. The Lord let me encounter Bathsheba. And look, he's blessed it because she's pregnant and children are a blessing. And Uriah, he didn't need to die if the Lord wasn't pleased with this. So the Lord has allowed Uriah to die. He's obviously blessing this and giving me Bathsheba. Or maybe it went through his mind along the lines of, what a righteous man am I? She tempted me. But look how I've responded. I've saved her from all of the shame of that, and I've brought her into the palace, I've married her, I've dealt with the other problem. I'm a righteous man. However he did it, he managed to be in total deception and denial of his own sin. That's David. How does that relate to us? Well, I'm sure none of us ever struggle with any deception or self-deception over our own sin or a little bit of denial of our own sin. Come on. If we're really honest and real, we are profoundly broken and we all have this innate desire within us to present ourselves perhaps as a little better to the outside Christian world than we really are. Living in Wheaton, huge pressure to do that. John totally got that. In 1 John 1 verse 5, if we say we have no sin, we deceive 
ourselves. He totally got that tied up in our broken, sinful nature is our ability wrapped all around to deceive ourselves about our sin. To deny it. It might be conscious, it might be subconscious. It might be that we are so used to that part of our lives being sinful, we just kind of tolerate it and it's just there. You might be thinking at this moment, hmm, not quite sure if that's true of me. So I'm going to give us a little litmus test. Now, some of you will remember, as an example of a litmus test, back in the, I don't know, the 90s, early 2000s, there was this southern comedian, I hope I don't cause any offense here, who used to do this thing of, you might be a redneck if... It was a litmus test. You might be a redneck if you've ever made change in the collection plate. You might be a redneck if your senior grade in school was second grade. That sort of thing is a litmus test. I am going to give you a couple of thoughts that if you ever think these types of thoughts, it might mean that you might have a little area of sin that we are tolerating or denying. Sure, I'm a little bit too angry and bitter, but I'm so much better. Sorry, I, sure, I might be a little too angry and bitter, but he deserves it. <laughs> Give me a break, would you? I am doing my best, and I'm a lot better than a lot of people around me. I love her. How could this be wrong? How about... I have tried so hard to break this pattern of sin and it never changes. So I've just kind of given up and I accept it and I tolerate it. It's just part of where I'm at now. Yeah, they're just little fantasies I have in my mind. I enjoy them and they're not really hurting anyone. Yeah, I dislike him. He's my boss. Everyone dislikes their boss. We all have ways, I think, that we do what David did. And that it's hard to face up to some of those areas in our life. I think the question which comes from that is a surprising question. Well, so what? I have a few little areas which perhaps I'm tolerating or I'm denying. Does it really matter? I'm saved. I'm forgiven. Does it really matter? Well, let's take a look at that. Verse 27. But what David had done displeased the Lord. How did it impact his walk with the Lord. Well, it doesn't really give us a lot of detail, but we can infer it from the rest of Scripture. And I'd suggest that when we tolerate some sin, just don't really deal with it or we deny it, it impacts us in two ways. It impacts us in our walk with the Lord and it impacts us in our walk with each other. And let me explain that. The Bible 
from the book of Genesis, Eden at the very beginning, all the way through to eternity at the end, is this glorious story of relationship. Of God the Father, of God Almighty, in such love with us people, that he wants a relationship, a unified relationship with us. The whole of the Bible is that love story, if you like. And the Bible gives us all sorts of pictures to try and describe that. Do you remember in John 4, there's the woman at the well? And Jesus says to her, you will have springs of living water welling up within you. It's a picture of God dwelling within us, of that unity and communion with him. Perhaps you recall from Ezekiel, before we're in relationship with the Lord, he says, we have a heart of stone. But when we come into relationship with him, he gives us a heart of flesh. There's this close, such close union that he transforms the very center of us. But what happens when perhaps we begin to tolerate some sin or deny it? It's like we take a little stone to that spring of water, a little sin of envy here, and we drop it on the spring. Oh, a little bitterness we drop it on the spring. And that spring slowly becomes a little bit more restricted and restricted. And that well of God rising up in our life becomes diminished. David took a huge boulder and dropped it on that. We, more likely, are just dropping little stones. It quenches, it chokes our walk with the Lord. Last week it was referred, John 10, this beautiful passage of Jesus has come to give us abundant life. Maybe another way of putting it, as we begin to deny or tolerate our sin, is it reduces the abundance of that life, of that relationship with him. The other thing it does is it profoundly changes our relationship with those around us. Look at David. Verses 1 through 6, Nathan holds up a mirror to David. You must be able to see yourself in this, David. And he tells a story which is so obviously a referral to what David has done with Bathsheba. And David's reaction is extraordinary. He is such denial that his reaction is to point the finger and to pronounce judgment on the man in the story. He should be killed and he should repay fourfold for the thing he has stolen. Unfortunately, as we are in that sort of frame of mind, we become more like the prodigal son's older brother than the prodigal son. We become the prodigal son's older brother who stands there and taps his foot with frustration that his sinful younger brother has come back and points the finger at him instead of accepting 
our own brokenness and our own sinfulness. So what then is the solution? And this is where we begin, I hope, to go back up. What happens to David? Verse 13, after Nathan kind of tees him up and knocks him out of the ballpark, David finally gets it. I have sinned against the Lord. And very shortly thereafter, we assume he writes Psalm 51, which is his overflowing heart of repentance. He has crashed through his denial and come to a glorious place of repentance. Have mercy on me. My sin is always before me. He has come fully into that place of repentance. Repentance, I would suggest, has had a really bad public relations. When you think about repentance, I think a lot of the things which go on in our minds are ooh, condemnation, guilt, all of those things. How many of you have, maybe you've seen the movie, it's from years ago called The Mission, when I forget the exact story, but the main character commits some terrible sin, and then sort of as an act of repentance, he gets this big bag thing full of heavy weights, and he climbs up a mountain with it over his back, dragging his sin behind him. It's not repentance. Self-condemnation and the guilt is not repentance. Repentance is where our sinful self encounters the risen Lord Jesus and receives grace, forgiveness, and love. Repentance is where we come back into that beautiful relationship with the Lord. It is so tempting when we sin to think about running from the Lord and hiding from him. I've done it a thousand and one times. Don't ever let our sin cause us to run from the Lord. Let our sin cause us to run to the Lord. That's repentance. It's when we bring our brokenness and we come back to him into communion and relationship with him. When I think of the woman at the well, it's a beautiful picture of repentance. You'll recall, or you may recall, she arrives to get the water at the sixth hour of the day. The sixth hour of the day is pretty late in the day to be collecting water. Why was she going when nobody else is around? Why was she going so late? Probably, as Jesus points out later, she's been married several times and she's now living with somebody who's not her husband. She is probably so scorned in her little town that the women who go to collect water with her early in the days, they either deride her or they won't even go with her. So she goes at the sixth hour of the day when no one else is around. Jesus encounters her 
there. The first thing he does is he steps over and he talks to her, and I can guarantee there would have been people pointing the finger at Jesus at that point. Why would you talk to her? He takes some of her shame upon himself. Ultimately, of course, he takes all of our shame at the cross. But Jesus is fully aware of her sin. You've been married multiple times and he has this conversation. Her response when she hears of the the well, the springs of living water, is to run and tell the people in the town to come and meet Jesus. She has a profound transformation. She comes back into relationship with Jesus. Denial is the older brother in the prodigal son. Repentance is that prodigal son who took a dive into a pigsty of sin. But when he's coming back, do you know what the father does? In that culture, in that age, men did not run, humiliating. The father runs to greet his son and embraces him. That's repentance. It's coming back into relationship with the Father, with our Lord. It might be, actually I think it's interesting as well, just make me point one thing out about Psalm 51, which is so true of repentance. It starts out with all of these, my sin is ever before me. He is fully aware of his sin, fully aware. But how does it end? And repentance always leads to this. My lips will proclaim your praise. He moves from the sin back into relationship with God and back to exalting him and to hope and to new life. It always happens with repentance. What you might want to ask, though, is, hey, if we're in denial about some sin or we're just tolerating it, perhaps we can't even see it. So how are we supposed to deal with that? You make three very quick points. Number one, do not go manically searching for something in your heart. Oh, what am I denying or whatever? I would simply say we pray. And we just say, Lord, I want to be closer to you. If there is sin that I'm tolerating, in the coming weeks, bring it to the surface and help me see it, help me repent of it, let's deal with it and move on. I'd also encourage you to spend time in his word. His word is like a laser beam. It's like a bright light which sometimes comes and lifts an area of our life very much to the surface. I was out with my wife, I don't know, two or three weeks ago now. We were sitting outside in downtown Wheaton having a coffee together. It's a very nice time. I was having a cappuccino Everything was going well until Nancy decided to share a little bit about a quiet time she had been having. And she came out with the scripture, let not your heart be divided. I nearly choked on my cappuccino because for some reason the Lord took that scripture at that moment and he applied it to my heart. And suddenly I could see, oh, 
I do have a divided heart in this area. I do have a divided heart in this area. And I spent about the next week having to allow myself to come present to that, confessing that to the Lord and asking him to help change me. When we come into the presence of the scripture, he will bring us to the surface. The other thing I would encourage us to do, and we are in such a wonderful church for this, is to allow ourselves to be in a loving community. And the reason is, when we're in a loving community, some of our rough edges do come to the surface, and often people will gently and lovingly point out, here's an area to bring to the Lord. I've been here 25 years. I cannot believe the amount of times I have had that happen to me. I have had it pointed out, unfortunately. I have a tendency towards being, ouch, manipulative. When I was told that, I thoroughly denied it. I think I had a little argument over it. But over a period of time, the Lord was able to take it. Yeah, sorry, Jeremy, that is something which is sinful in your heart and begin to work on that. I've been told, Jeremy, there's a little bit of anger in there which is like a little spike in your heart. Ouch! I was so insulted. But it was done lovingly and over time I was able to come to the, re- the realization of Oof, that one's right too. And to bring it to the cross to be forgiven and to move on and allow him to begin to change. So where do we go from here? There's a phrase in marketing. It's funny for me to say this because I'm English and it doesn't happen in England, but over here I've heard it said, will it play in Peoria? It means... Will the thing with the marketing thing we're doing, will it make sense to mainstream America? I think the Christian equivalent is what was said on Sunday morning. Will it have relevance on Monday morning? So, I would ask that we take away from this a couple of thoughts. One I mentioned earlier. Never, ever, ever let our sin cause us to run from God. Never hide from God because of sin. Let our sin cause us to run to him so that we can enter back into that relationship. Never let our sin cause us to run from God. Cause us to run to him. I'd also describe an image that repentance is the doorway back home. It's the doorway back into the loving embrace of the Father. It's possible, as we've been speaking, that there might be one or two of you who have been thinking, oof, there's a little bit of envy in my heart towards person X, Y, Z, Z, and, sorry, I need to bring those up and confess them.
If that's the case, there are folks who will be down the side praying a little bit later. You can go to them. I did it about two weeks ago. I'd done something really stupid. I needed to repent. It was like a weight went off my shoulders. If it's something you want to process a little deeper, we have the most wonderful pastoral staff, and you can still pick up a phone or email them and just ask, can I have an appointment in the next few weeks to see you? Because I'd like to work this through with you. And then move on. And it's possible that one or two of you here today have never actually gone through that door home into the arms of the Father. You've never actually, you've considered Jesus, you've considered Christianity, but you haven't taken that final step. And I would encourage you with everything within me. Take that step. Come into his arms. You will never regret it. It's like coming home. It's the beginning of an abundant life. Amen.